Welcome to Every Unplugged, the podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Amy Mills. We're diving into a topic you've probably at least heard about, blockchain. What is it? How does it work? And what does it mean for the utility industry? I've gathered some of our leading experts at EPRI to answer these questions and more. Joining me by phone are Pam Keith, EPRI Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Gerald Gray, Senior Program Manager of Enterprise Architecture and Integration, and Hannah Davis, Technology Innovation Analyst and Leader of EPRI's Utility Blockchain Interest Group, or UBIG. Welcome, everyone. Hi, Amy. Thanks. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. Let's start with the most basic question. What is blockchain? Joe, do you want to take that? Sure, Amy, and I'll try to keep it simple. We won't dive into the vagaries of Merkle trees and, and these sorts of things. At the simplest level, a blockchain is a distributed ledger, but what does that mean? Uh, it, it's an append only. So if you could imagine a file, maybe in Notepad or uh, even Microsoft Word, but imagine that you could only add stuff to the end. You couldn't put anything or change anything that had already been written. That's essentially this ledger, and then it's distributed. So folks that are familiar with other peer-to-peer -peer technologies, that means that a copy of this ledger is distributed among all the participants. So it combines various technologies that have actually been in development uh, over the last couple decades, as, as usually things don't spring out of nothing. They're always built upon you know, prior technologies. So you have distributed ledger. It can be only written to, and then it incorporates cybersecurity from the ground up, both for how the data in the ledger is encrypted and also the public-private keys that are used for people at, for account numbers and their identities. How then does that translate into the utility industry? Well, that's one of the things that we're looking into in our UBIG group. So I would say, you know, north of 90% of the attention in blockchain has been uh, given in the peer-to-peer -peer energy trading space. But we're looking at the core characteristics of blockchain to find out what use cases it is suitable for. So the core characteristics, to my mind, are this transparency. Everybody's got a copy. Everybody can see the contents, the security, and immutability. In theory, the contents of that ledger cannot be chained, changed. But that does not apply to everything. And that's, that's sort of the thing that we do whenever in my enterprise architecture group, whenever we see a disruptive technology come along, we, we try to determine where it will impact and, and just how it will disrupt. And we've seen this time and again in the information technology space where a new thing comes along and people think perhaps that it can be applied everywhere, and that's rarely the case. There are characteristics that make it suitable for some sorts of things and not suitable for other sorts of things. So we look at these three core characteristics, security, transparency, and immutability, and look at how those can be applied. Some of the things that are top of my list, wherever you have audits, wherever you have checklists, wherever you have customer-facing 
services that there is a trust component to there, these look like they're good fits for the technology. Pam, I wanted to talk to you about looking outside of the utility industry. What are some examples of how blockchain is being applied in other places? Well, when you think about uh, the three characteristics that Gerald just outlined, um, you know, an example that's far outside the utility industry is in uh, fine art and high-end fashion, where let's say you want, you're interested in buying a painting and you think it's this, uh, you know, really important piece of work, um, but you need to trust and prove and verify the provenance of that particular piece of art. And so blockchain is currently being used, starting to be used, um, you know, people are, are have this as a used case um, because it, it sort of lends itself to those, those three characteristics that Gerald outlined. And the same thing with um, high-end fashion where you need to, you want to trust and, but you need to prove the provenance of, you know, some like really uh, expensive piece of, uh, piece of fashion. And so blockchain could be used in that context. Hannah, you're leading the UBIG group, bringing together people within the utility industry to talk about it. What are some of the things that you're hearing from that group? Sure. So, like you said, EPRI started this utility blockchain interest group a few months ago because we kept seeing blockchain come up in the news, at conferences, among our members, and we decided this would be a really great opportunity to collaborate both with our international members as well as our U.S. members and understand what use cases were coming out and what everyone was talking about and what the hype was about. So we have formed this group, this utility blockchain interest group, UBIG, um, to kind of share lessons learned and develop best practices. And we've seen a wide spectrum of interest and engagement in blockchain. There are some people who are just looking at what is this, and other people are actually piloting it. So we've seen very different use cases from supply chain all the way to EV charging, um, from transmission all the way to distribution, a wide variety of things are happening in the space. And I think that EPRI has a good position to bring all of these use cases together and really find what the practical applications are and then help accelerate knowledge around these. It seems like there are pilots beginning in the U.S., which is great, although a lot of things are happening internationally. So overall, we're still building out our use cases and understanding um, who's involved with what, but I think soon we'll be able to have a good understanding of what use cases um, are really, people are really going after. Let's touch on that international piece. You're having a UBIG meeting in Milan, Italy in the spring. What motivated you to organize that and what are you hoping that the UBIG members get out of it? Yeah, so we actually held an in-person meeting in Dallas at the beginning of October as an opportunity for our members and the, and the UBIG group to interact with each other and, put, and start networking and understanding what people were actually doing. And we had a lot of um, startups come in as well as external ex experts as well as someone from the financial industry to come in and kind of level set everyone and talk about blockchain. Since I think 20% of our group is are from international utilities. We felt like our second meeting, would it would be a great opportunity to engage with them, as well as offer the opportunities for our U.S. members to go to Milan and um, meet with everyone. And since the regulatory framework internationally is a little more open to blockchain and piloting blockchain, 
we thought it would be a great opportunity to meet with these utilities and see what challenges they've encountered, um, what they're testing, how some of the results that they found, uh, and really engage with them on a face-to-face -face personal level, as well as encourage other people from the area to come and meet with us and, and really just engage in this collaborative networking. And Gerald, I want to go back and touch on the security piece that you mentioned. Are there specific cybersecurity issues that utilities need to be thinking about in implementing blockchain? Amy, it's interesting you asked that question because when I first started learning about blockchain, the criticism in information technology had often been that these system exchanges need to be designed with security in mind from the ground up. But in practice, they never are. Uh, because usually when you're trying to get system A to talk to system B, you want to prove that they can talk and get the communication uh, specifics ironed out, and then they, you put security on, even though you can plan for it from the beginning stages. But when you look about uh, how blockchains are built, as I alluded to earlier, both uh, how the data is encrypted and how the, the, the keys are used for your accounts and your transactions with the blockchain, it, it sort of is designed with security in mind from the ground up. So that is definitely a positive. That doesn't mean that it's foolproof. We've seen uh, both Ethereum and Bitcoin blockchains be hacked with quite a bit of fanfare associated with those things and different strategies for sort of moving on from those events. And I was also, in, in particular, there's been a, a lot of noise in the Internet of Things space, and I was skeptical of these sorts of things because you have different components of security. You certainly have the cybersecurity components where you, you want to have encryption and the and ways to manage that communication, but you can't ignore the phys physical security. So if a device is locally unsecure and somebody can still get access to that thing, it, it doesn't help you a lot if the devices, if the messages are secure, yet the device is not. You really don't gain a lot there. Um, so these are things that, again, are being evaluated for their cybersecurity applications. And I'm actually a lot more positive over the course of the last year in some of the developments I've seen, in particular in the IoT space, the ability to use uh, secure messaging and whitelisting where the messages come from so that you know that you're getting messages from a secure source. So I think there are a lot of positive cyber aspects to blockchain, uh, but again, the whole technology space is sort of immature, so I think uh, we're going to learn more in the next year or two. I'm going to ask you kind of a technical question. You just mentioned two different types of blockchain, one being Bitcoin. Bitcoin is probably what people are most familiar with. But what are the different types? How do you differentiate within blockchain? Oh, th that's a great question, Amy, because many people sort of conflate Bitcoin with blockchain, and, and Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that runs on a particular blockchain. And so 
There are essentially four different blockchain architectures. There's a proof of work, and this is a lot of people might be familiar with mining. That's the uh, the miners solve a complex puzzle, and this and they are rewarded for that. And that's what Ethereum and Bitcoin run on a a proof of work based blockchain. Then there's proof of authority, oh, and Blockchain and Ethereum, these proof-of-work blockchains are pseudo-anonymous, so normally your identity is not given unless you voluntarily choose to do so. And we, we could talk about how people can figure out who you are as a separate conversation, perhaps. There's a proof of authority, and this is different from the pseudo-anonymous, and that is the people that participate in the blockchain, they are only allowed to participate by verified entities or the people that can work on the blockchain is limited to a select few. Then there's a proof of stake, and that is the people invest in the blockchain, they put the money up front. And so the theory there being that the people that have invested in the blockchain are less likely to engage in shenanigans, if you will. And so these proof of authority and proof of stake have less computational overhead than a proof of work blockchain. And, and there's been a lot of press, of course, about a proof of work blockchains like Ethereum and Bitcoin and how much energy they consume. Then there's these uh, names kind of technical. So I'll just refer to it as the IOTA hash. So it's sort of a different way of looking at a blockchain, but uh, it is probably the least mature of the approaches in, in at least their support for these things known as smart contracts, where you can automatically execute exchanges uh, based on preset criteria. Well, that is all new information to me. Uh, Pam, I wanted to ask you as you know, we're talking about how utilities are considering way blockchain. How are they then talking to regulators or to what extent are they having those conversations? Uh, regulators across the country are all wrestling with this and not just, not just utility regulators, um, but regulators in the financial services um, areas as well. Um, so they are largely in the um, fact gathering stages um, having various companies um, come and and educate them, and there are uh, there's some work underway at NARUC uh, because all of the regulators are really you know grappling with the same questions um, as to how might this be used in the utility industry, and you know for some of these um, nascent activities, who pays? Is this something that uh, the shareholders pay for? Um, is it something that uh, the customers pay for? So I think we'll be seeing a lot more to come in this area. And um, but you know, as we are learning a lot about it, they're faced with the very same challenges. And Hannah, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think Pam did a great job explaining that. I really agree that it's more in the education phase. And in Arizona, they actually opened up a docket to understand blockchain technology in the energy sector. 
So we are seeing some activity in this phase where regulators are getting involved in trying to understand what the technology is, what it can do um, before it becomes the thing that customers are asking for and is all around. And let's talk about the customer some more. We talk a lot about the customer being at the center of everything now. As a customer, will I even know if I'm using blockchain, if I'm trading my solar energy to a neighbor? Do I know that I'm using blockchain to do that? What is that experience going to be like? I'll take that question because I love that question. (laughs) No, you won't know. (laughs) And and that's that's something we deal with in systems integration all the time and, and trying to bridge the information gap. People don't care about what protocols or data exchanges occur under the covers or behind the screen. They only care about capabilities. They only care about ease of use. They don't care about uh, how things uh, sort of work behind the screen unless something has gone awry. The program has crashed. Their data has been stolen. Uh, They care about these sorts of things, but they don't care about the underlying things. And it's kind of interesting. This brings to mind a quote uh, from Lawrence Orsini, uh, the founder of LO3 Energy, and and he talked about the notion that we didn't set out to, and I'm paraphrasing here, we didn't set out to be a blockchain company. We set out to solve a problem. It just so happens at this point in time, blockchain is the best way, we think, to solve that problem. If a new technology comes along that allows us to solve this problem in a, in a better way, we're going to switch to that and, and drop using blockchain. You know, So it's the it's a capability that's enabled now. You don't care about what's going on behind the screen. Just like if you get on a website, do you know, do you care about which version of HTML or HTTP it's using? Do you even know? Most people don't. They only care if it works, right? So that that's the fundamental thing here. The stuff will work or not. It'll enable new business capabilities or not. And I think the new business capabilities that is enabled will be the key kind of critical success factor. Excellent. And Pam, when we look at those business capabilities, what do you see as being the biggest potential for blockchain? Depending on, in particular, in the utility industry, which of the, you know, use cases ends up coming to the fore, um, it could really um, streamline and allow for much greater efficiencies in the back office as it pertains to um, peer-to-peer energy trading, EV charging, retail billing. So I think it can make it much easier for consumers to really interact with their energy provider in ways that are important to them instead of simply, you know, just taking the service that the energy company provides as they historically have done. Okay. I'm going to ask one last question of all of you as we wrap up this podcast. What do you think is the most interesting or exciting aspect of blockchain? Hannah, do you want to start? Sure. I think that in general, blockchain is just a very exciting topic for the industry. And I think that the transparency and the potential cost savings for the utility are very exciting options that we have yet to realize the full potential of. And I think with the UBIG group and all the pilots that are going on and the 
regulators getting involved. Um, it's just a very exciting opportunity for blockchain and the industry. And looking forward, we're thrilled to see where it goes and what use cases come out as the most practical. I'm sure once we figure that out, we can have another blo- another blockchain podcast and fill you in on some results that we're seeing. I certainly see a follow-up podcast, <laughs> most definitely. Uh, I, you know, it, it's interesting. It's always interesting to me from an IT perspective. I've been in IT for a few decades now. If you could see my video feed, do you notice the gray hair, perhaps? <laughs> but it, it's always interesting to me, sort of the march of technology and what I had mentioned before. The over the course of the last couple of decades, there have been different technologies that sort of uh, are precursors to this development. Uh, Merkle trees, peer-to-peer networking, the public key, private key uh, encryption, the ability of near ubiquitous internet access that allows these information exchanges to occur. All these pieces and parts have to be in place. So for me, it's always interesting to watch the march of technology go on. But the other thing to me is the relative use of this technology. So Bitcoin's been around for what now? It's on its first decade. The crypto side for Bitcoin and Ethereum are, I think, fairly mature now, though they they continue to make developments to improve performance. But in terms of the some of the other value propositions, The smart contracts, I think, will probably be the most disruptive piece coming along. That part's still immature. There's still a lot of things to be known. And yet, man, we see just a ton of industry buzz. I can't remember the last time I saw so much mindshare about a specific technology, probably since when the internet was privatized, what, and when was that, 94 or 95? That's probably the last time I saw so much buzz around one specific technology. Wow, that's saying something. It it really is. And I am watching your video feed. I was more curious about the guitar that you strapped on. Are you going to play us out of the podcast? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) We'll wrap it up with Pam. Pam, what do you see as a big opportunity for blockchain? Well, I think um, I I would agree with Gerald that, I mean, blockchain is everywhere right now out in um, not just this industry, but it seems like, you know, it's in the news all the time. And um, so from a public policy perspective, I think that there is a potential, you know, to further democratize um, the energy space. And I think that that gets a lot of resonance globally. But... I think we have to be careful as an industry that, to Gerald's point earlier, we, we pick the right technology for the right use, and we don't just say, hey, this is really cool, let's use it for everything, um, because it might be more expensive um, than an alternative, or it might be overdoing certain uh, capabilities that you know aren't really needed for that particular situation. So it'll be really interesting to see how it is eventually used in the industry 
and also how the regulators, quite frankly, are able to, you know, find their way through this really complex technology uh, to get to a point where they're comfortable um, making a call as to, you know, does it have a role to play, and then how they, on an ongoing basis, interact with the utility to either review or advise or what have you, um, because it is very, you know, highly technical and yet has the ability to be used across the, the customer space. And so when you have that kind of intersection between highly technical and broad use, you know, there are just a lot of um, public policy questions that come into play. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Very interesting. I think Hannah nailed it in saying we need to follow up on this topic. Um, a lot of developments yet to come, it sounds like. Well, thank you all so much for your time and your insight today. Sure thing, Amy. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Amy. Yes, thanks, Amy. Thank you. And until next time, we're shaping the future of electricity.